Welcome to another epic episode of the Rebel Millionaire Podcast Show, the podcast for those revolutionary leaders, creators, geniuses, entrepreneurs, badasses who know that they are the 1% within the 1% within the 1% and are ready to freaking claim it. I'm your host, Katrina Ruth. Let's jump into the show. Kira Jean is a highly sought-after success coach and entrepreneur with over 15 years' experience in the personal development industry. Her private clients are some of the world's top creatives, entrepreneurs, and visionaries. Kira is driven by her mission to shape the world through powerful, empathetic, and resilient leadership. She is passionate about igniting creativity and expanding consciousness. She fuses her experience in a range of fields to bring life-altering knowledge to people around the world. Alongside her coaching practice, Kira is the founder of the DreamWork Collective, a tiny but mighty publishing house sharing diverse voices and powerful stories with the world and emerging lifestyle brand rewilding.co, which houses a curated collection of nature's best hacks for the independent of mind and free in spirit. I'm so excited to have Kira on the show today. I know that this is going to be a conversation that will really just open you up and expand you. I don't know exactly around what. That is a big sort of promise or intention for this time together, but this woman is a woman who has an ability to, what I would say, access beyond the physical in a way that is just quite uncommon. And I have been able to, you know, I've been honoured to observe her for many, many years in different ways through our various connections online and offline, actually. We might get to that part of the story. So I've had a chance to see how Kira's brought things to life in a way where most people wouldn't even say yes to that thing because it would seem unattainable or, yeah, too tricky or too complex. Every time we do speak and every time we connect, there's just gold that comes through and it's a real co-collaboration, I would say. It's just one of those things where we have a connection that creates some sort of a charge and, yeah, I know that whatever comes through for you today in listening or watching to this episode of the podcast, that it's going to open you up and give you something that will perhaps drop you in immediately, perhaps confront you or trigger you, but either way, it's definitely going to result in you saying, an even bigger yes to what's inside of you. So welcome, Kira, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a joy and a pleasure. Okay, well, I would love to ask you firstly about the publishing business that you've brought to life, and then I'm sure we'll touch on your coaching business as well and all sorts of other things. But to me, being that I knew you before you brought the publishing business to life, And then watching you say yes to that dream, watching you go on to just achieve so many incredible things, not only in your own life and in that business as a result of that, but in the lives of others, your authors, and, you know, being privy to some of that sort of behind the scenes. It's just been amazing to, you know, to to see and witness and exciting and inspiring. And I just thought this is a story that I'd love for you to share with people, not because I'm expecting people are going to be listening to this thinking that they want to start a publishing business. Who knows, somebody (laughs) might be, but more so just because it's such a fantastic example of saying yes to something that, you know, on the surface of it seemed like a really, really big convoluted sort of mission and and maybe was, you know, in terms of when you then got your fingers stuck into it. But yeah, can you just share a bit, not only about the business, but in particular as well about what brought you to a point of knowing that you needed to say yes to that? And then how did you embark upon bringing a dream to life that was, you know, in that kind of basket of, wow, can I really do this? And and just however you want to answer that, whether it's the mindset side of things or, yeah, the more strategic 
Yeah, I, I mean, I remember, I think I was working with you in Rich Hot Empire at the time. Yeah. And we had had some one-to-ones during that. And I, I had this idea floating around. And, you know, it kind of kicked off when I moved to Dubai. I've always been a writer and a reader, but I was not a good writer. Like I failed every writing class at school, but I, I still did it because I just enjoyed it. And I was such a lover of books and you know, my best friend at school was a gifted writer. So she would like breeze through everything. And I would always come back with all this like red marks and crosses and critiques and be like, oh, (laughs) get at this. And so, you know, life moved on and, and, you know, I moved into like therapy and coaching and things like that. And, And she stuck it out as a writer and became a professional copywriter for some really big brands like Apple and Microsoft and things like that. But at the age of 28, she passed away from complications with diabetes. And so it was when she passed away, it it kind of made me realize how fragile life is and how quickly, you know, if we're not acting on what matters now, we may not get the chance to. And so the last message she had kind of written to me before she had passed away was, saying that, you know, I can see success is just around the corner for you and you're going to do amazing things. And, you know, my biggest regret is that I didn't publish any of the things that I'd written. She'd spent her whole life, that short life, working for other people and bringing their dreams to life and writing for them and not pursued her own writing ambitions. So that really lit a fire in me. And I was like, right, I'm going to write a book. I'm just going to write it. If no one reads it, I don't care. I'm just going to get it out and put it out into the world so that I don't die with a book still inside me. And so Mm -hmm. that's how it all kind of started. I did that in the Middle East. We have some interesting kind of regulations around book publishing and content. So a lot of things are, are quite regulated here. So it was a massive minefield to try and get through just me being able to self publish once I did it and I cracked the code, I had everybody asking me how I did it. And so that's when I just naturally was like, oh, okay. And I just kind of followed what was happening. I was like, oh, I know about that now and I can help you with that now. And I just started kind of consulting and then it took off from there and became what it is today. Did you write that first book? Yeah, I did. I wrote it. <laughs> it's did called- you publish it under your own? Oh, sorry, go ahead. I didn't publish it under my publishing hours because I didn't have one at the time. Yeah, yeah. I just self-published. It's called Soul in the City. And it's just a, a tiny book, a little bit about my journey and some of the tools that I'd learned along the way. I think I wrote it in three weeks. I didn't sleep much those three weeks. I was totally inspired and was just letting it flow through me. And um, the writing was the easy part. And that's when I realized there's such a need for people to help with publishing because, yeah, writing is is the easy part. Getting it out into the world is sometimes the place where people get challenged and just don't do it for whatever reason. Yeah, absolutely. I want to pick up something you said about first, no, there's a few things there, um, but, you know, you getting your writing back covered in red marks and your friend mm-hmm. was the one who was, you know, more so meeting the requirements of writing, as you know, and as a lot of our listeners would know, I can certainly relate to that. I dropped myself out of professional writing and editing in university, which was one of the four degrees that, or diplomas that I pursued because <laughs> I just 
couldn't stand being told how to write. It was stifling me and it was sucking the soul right out of me. But I certainly felt like, well, something was wrong with me and that, you know, my dream of being a writer was obviously not meant to be. And I felt some sense of shame at not following through and not, you know, being proper. And certainly some of the friends I made in that class went on to become journalists for the age, you know, Melbourne's biggest or one of the bigger newspapers in Melbourne. And that was what I had thought I wanted. And so it was very triggering. So I guess what I'm getting to, and then obviously, you know, it all worked out great in the end, but that's my <laughs> story. Get it coming back to you. What, I guess, apart from, you know, the realisation that you had in your friend's final message to you, which is just such a powerful story and one of those things that, yeah, you know, having something so brutal just put in front of you to wake you up essentially back to who you always were. As you then got underway and you wrote the book and then you brought that to life and then you went on to bring the publishing house to life, I'm wondering and what my question is around what were the, I guess, hindrances or stumbling blocks, if any, as you, particularly as you started to bring the publishing house life, but it could be around the book as well, where that little part of you, you know, popped up saying, hey, this is the proper way to do it, or this is the right way. And then you went ahead and pursued what was inside of you anyway. Yeah, I think in the beginning, I was pretty lucky establishing the business in Dubai. Dubai is a, a pretty new market. There's not a huge publishing industry here. It's not like the US or UK where there's very established publishing houses and, and a way of working. So, you know, Dubai is quite an innovative city. It's new, it's young, it's fresh. And so I was able to kind of just wing it <laughs> and figure it out. And I think I was able just to respond to what I was hearing people needed and like, oh, I can help them with that and I can do that. I think when... I got triggered was when I started to try and go international. So my mission became bigger and I was like, I want to build a platform. I want to give writers and creatives and experts in this part of the world a platform where they're more heard and seen globally. And so when I started to reach out into the UK, US market, that's when I realized I was doing everything wrong <laughs> and not how things should be done. And run up against a lot of blocks. And so even to this day, it's a bit of a dance where I'm like, my mission is to make sure that the, the voices and the stories get heard. But at the same time, I'm, I'm unwilling to compromise and do things the way that they've been done for hundreds of years in an industry that's, that's also trying to, to reinvent itself. So I still do that dance where I sometimes second guess myself and I'm like, oh, Maybe I should just compromise and like make sure my books are done in this format so it fits on the shelves that it needs to fit on rather than, you know, what's sometimes more inspired is like, I want to do it in this way and the author wants, you know, this kind of cover and, and, and it's a very collaborative, creative process. So I think that's when I realized that, yeah, I didn't want to compromise, but at the same time, sometimes my mission was bigger than some of those things. So I have to weigh it up and, and push forward mm. anyway. Yeah. So what do you draw on or lean on most when you need to make a decision like that? How do you access that certainty within you, whether it's intuition and, you know, and soul-led or obviously experience and knowledge of the industry and what have you? What does it ultimately come down to for you? For me, it's my intuition, 100%. I'm, I'm really good at seeing patterns and, and I'm pretty stubborn too, which 
I was always criticized for, but I think in entrepreneurship, you have to be because I don't take no for an answer. And so I, I kind of can dig my heels in and be like, no, this feels right. I know this is right. And this is what's needed. So I'd say always me first, like the intuition, guidance, that sort of stuff. But also because I'm working with other people, I'm helping to bring their dreams to life. So really employing my skill to listen, like intuitively listen and get a sense for, well, what's this about for them? And can Mm. I meet them there? And can we just avoid the noise that's out there and just focus on, okay, here we are co-creating something together. What's this about for us? Mm. And do most of your authors come in, and this is a question that probably could cross over into the coaching side of things as well, so I'll let you answer how you like, but do most of your authors come in and I guess kind of have their ideas of what they, you know, think or perceive or have researched, let's say, is required in order to create success with their book? And then, you know, as part of your journey with them, obviously it's, you know, navigating them through that to where they're going to create the actual outcome they want without necessarily getting caught up in but this is what I thought I have to do. Is that something you feel like you're in a pretty ongoing dance with? Do you tend to attract authors in who just naturally kind of get, you know, the connecting into intuition side of things or do they tend to come in more so with all their, you know, fears and worries and also ideas of everyone and the dog next door about what it takes to be successful as an author? Yeah, I don't think there are people are too concerned with the industry stuff and the standards there. I think we we attract rebels <laughs> and people who are wishing to kind of push the boundaries, but it still comes with a level of fear. So we work a lot with first-time authors that have never had their name like printed across something that's going to stay in circulation probably forever, end up in a second-hand bookstore in 20, 30, 40 years to come. And, and so that fear of how... Um, physical and long-lasting an actual book is compared to what we might post on the internet, which we could delete later on, Mm. comes with a a lot of fear. And I think that is where my coaching comes in because I have to kind of push them through some of those fears. So we work a lot with people who are trying to transition out of corporate jobs into a more creative and soul-aligned business and life for themselves. And so you know, they're writing about their experiences within that company. And there's a lot of fear around, well, now I'm actually going to lose my job. And I'm saying, but isn't that the point? Don't you want to transition to this? And so I think it's a huge time, financial and emotional investment when you're writing a book and putting it out there for everyone to look at and like or not like. And it feels a lot more permanent and, and I do think that we, we do try to, to dance in that way. My coach helps me to guide people through that entire experience. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so good, just connecting people into that truest part of them even when they try and rail against it. Yes. <laughs> what would you say, I, I, I know you not too long ago because you obviously shared it with me, had an example where there was huge order for one of your books and so obviously this way of doing things has created lots of different markers of success along the way for you, for the business and then for authors as well. If you kind of cast your eye back over the whole journey, working with authors, helping them bring their dream to life and then integrating that in with the coaching side of things, what would you say 
makes it that somebody does become a standout success. Like if there were any ingredients for that, even just, you know, some of the ingredients, what might they be? Number one is an existing audience. So having a platform, people that are already excited about what you've got to say or value and respect what you've got to say. And, you know, I I don't think that means you have to have 100,000 followers on Instagram or Facebook. There's so many ways to build community, even internally. So if a person is working in an organization, they may have, you know, a thousand other employees in that organization that would be interested to get the book. So I, I don't think it has to be what, that kind of social media branding that we always expect it to be, but you definitely will have more success if there's already an excited and willing audience ready to hear what you've got to say. Mm. And then putting that aside, so if it's something internal, what would you say? If anything, because it might not necessarily be a factor, most, I guess, predicates people's getting to where they want to go. Yeah, I think it's the purpose for why they're doing what they're doing. And we always start with that. So, you know, before we even get to editing or who's your target audience or anything like that, it's like, well, why are you doing this in the first place? Because it's mm-hmm. a long road. It's, it's a long road. It's a, you know, 60,000, 80,000, 100,000 words and, you know, a lot of stuff that, that has to happen to get to that finish line. And so if you don't understand why you're doing it, then at some point that motivation is going to drop off the end. And, you know, for us as, as a company, you know, that's our biggest fear because then we end up feeling like we have to carry the author across the line because they've not been in it for the right reasons. So we kind of focus on that first to make sure that there's an alignment there and that they're actually doing this for the right reason. If they're doing it to get rich, then, you know, a book is perhaps not the best way to get rich. It's something that you can use to build off of and create amazing Mm. brand and business, but it's not the thing. So I would say, you know, the author has to know why they're doing it and and what's the meaning behind it. Yeah. Yeah, which is so true for every part of business and, well, every part of life really. But being that you've been on the entrepreneurial pathway for quite some time now and obviously you've created multiple businesses, you've applied so much on the soul and intuition side of things and you know, you have such a natural as well as developed understanding of how to operate from that place, but then you also get the sales and marketing and strategy side. What, I guess, has been the thing that's most distracted or seduced you away from purpose at times? Because I know that there's not a single entrepreneur out there, myself included, who hasn't at times lost sight, maybe not completely, but we all do it, you know, we lose some element of sight of our purpose or, you know, I know my thing to this day is I I still have that naturally kind of insecure part of me, like the little girl that worries about if everybody seems to be doing, you know, something in particular or particularly whoever the group of people that I've decided are the cool ones or the, you know, the really like proper, let's say, grown-up entrepreneurs. If everyone seems to be doing whatever different thing, then there'll be some part of me where I'll feel like, I'll start looking and I'll start, you know, analysing maybe and then I'll start maybe making plans for how I can conquer this area of business that typically will, you know, end up being completely irrelevant to my aligned pathway and to me just being me and 
it's just a pattern that, yeah, I circle back to however often and then inevitably catch it out and go, okay, <laughs> you know, you did it again and, like, remember to just be who you are, Kat, and practice what you preach. So, yeah, I'd love you to share anything along those lines from your own journey because I think that typically people who are a little earlier on and even those who are quite far along will look at any person like yourself, like me, like some of the others who are established within what they're doing and who've created results and go, well, that person is always certain, always confident, always on track, always knows exactly what they're doing, you know, always completely in their purpose. And we both know that that's not the human experience. So, yeah. Yeah, that's such a good question. And as you asked that, I'm like, oh, well, there's this and then there's this and then there's this. And, and then I was realizing like, oh, my gosh, there's a, a like a washing list <laughs> of things that come up every day. But, but I was, I would say one thing that I have is like this, this fear of like being the outcast. And I think sometimes it stops me where I'm like, oh no, that's too radical of an idea. Like no one's going to get that. No one's actually, that's not how things work. Like that's impossible. And I, I think, you know, that fear of kind of being pushed out of the group is, is quite a challenge because, you know, the publishing company is called the DreamWork Collective. So collective is a huge part of what it's about. It's a community of people coming together to all do their their dream work in the world. And so there's this sense of like, I could get booted out of my own community if I if I mm-hmm. make the wrong mistake or if I don't kind of, you know, meet their needs and things like that. So I think sometimes I do compromise on, you know, my truth just to not appear like I'm too bossy, too overbearing, too out there, too rebellious. And, and you know, I, I try to collaborate, but I sometimes feel like the more that I try to collaborate, the more I'm moving away from who I naturally am, which is like, this is what I know. This is what makes sense. Like, let's do it. But I tend to, to sometimes hold back on that more certain leadership because I'm afraid of appearing like I'm not collaborative enough yeah so interesting such an interesting exercise to think about oh well what else would be true if I really brought out you know that part of me that's scared of being passed out or scared of being too rebellious or whatever and I know everyone can relate to that I mean this is called the rebel millionaire podcast show (laughs) there's only people listening who can relate to that and I just think for each of us again no matter where you're at on the journey like the continual kind of question is but what would be true if I was unapologetically being all of me? And this leads me back to a question that I had in mind to to come back to kind of link something that you said earlier where you mentioned about that you're very stubborn and you just kind of back your own stubbornness basically. And I was going to ask you, and now I'll ask you, including what you just shared, do you feel like there's ever been a time in in any business endeavour really in any life endeavor, but we'll keep it to business for now. Do you feel like there's ever been a time where it's been the wrong move to make to follow through on your own stubbornness or your own, yeah, backing of yourself? Is it ever aligned in your experience and opinion to, I guess, be careful with certain parts of yourself or dial them back a little bit or, you know, pause yourself from going all the way into that stubborn, unapologetic whatever it might be. 
I would say no, but I have learned better ways to communicate it <laughs> over the years so that I'm not, you know, leaving a path of damage in my wake. So I think, I, I mean, I don't think I could do otherwise. Like at some point, yeah. it bubble, bubbles up and over. It's going to come like, out. Yeah, I have to. So I would say not following it has sometimes caused more complications. But definitely when I was younger, it wasn't always received well. And not that I'm too concerned about how other people receive my stubbornness, but I think some people perhaps didn't know what it was about. And I don't think I knew what it was about for me either. And I kept hearing, you know, as a kid, like, you're so stubborn and unrelenting and things like that. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is such a bad quality to have. But once I kind of found the ways to channel it, I was like, oh, I'm made for this. That That's why I'm wired this way. And so I've been once I was able to understand it and see it as a gift, then I was able to kind of be more conscious of how it comes out and make sure that it's being, yeah, applied in a way that, that always works out. Yeah, I love that. And I love that your your answer was kind of no, but but really what I took from that is, well, no, there's never a time or a place to not be you, but maybe as we, you know, I know for sure myself as well, as you get a bit older, you mature into a being able to express your truth and stand in your truth without necessarily, yeah, tearing the world apart in your wake, so to speak. So what it left me feeling is, well, that's, that's a translation issue more than anything. That's learning how to stand in your authority and your power and communicate it effectively, essentially. And I think in some ways, I mean, definitely not even in some ways, nobody can fast track that. There's no way to get to that point of being, you know, somebody who is grounded, connected to their truth, able to effectively impart it able to know when to really go you into that extra hard-headedness, even if it is going to tear some shit up, depending on the situation, as opposed to, you know, when to, I guess, yeah, translate it sort of. And, and it's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show because you've got that evolved, you know, presence basically. But I know in you from as far back as I can remember connecting with you, which was I think we talked about this not long ago, was it about 10 years ago? Give or take, maybe I just think more than years. that now. 13, 14 years. Well, that's right. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was before Alyssa came along. Yeah. I, I know even from when we first briefly met, which was at a food for yoga seminar in Perth. <laughs> so random. I love those synchronicities of how life just takes you down, you know, the most interesting pathways to connection. So, a seminar that I was hosting. And I was doing a lot of these food for yoga seminars at the time, just always looking for ways to speak basically about anything I could speak about. But I remember even from brief early interaction with you and then, you know, you came into my space through my fitness business and then obviously evolved from there. I just always remember feeling, well, Kira just has this incredible sense of calm and groundedness. And, and I probably wouldn't have put it into those words back then at all, but I certainly felt it. And my question now is around, is that something you consciously harnessed for yourself along your journey, you know, into adulthood or at some point before I met you, or was it just always there and then obviously you started to understand it more as time get, goes on or, or, yeah, is there anything that you can share, I guess, for anybody who wanted to feel that they're operating from, you know, a sense of calm and connectedness, 
before I let you answer, I'm not suggesting, and I guess we've just covered this, but I'm not suggesting to anyone that Kira is just always in this calm sort of elevated state of perfection, peace or whatever. I think we've made that clear. But as I said at the start, there's something within you that just demonstrates connectedness to truth and soul. And it is rare and it is a practice as well. And it is also something that can be harnessed and polished, so to speak, or brought to life. So I'd just love you to speak to that for a little bit. Yeah, I, I love that. And I'm glad you cleared that up because that was going to be my answer. Like, I'm, I'm not floating <laughs> on clouds. Everything. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, you know, what's really interesting is I think in many ways my life's work is to figure out how to, how to translate this. I don't think I have cracked the code just yet. And I, I get asked all the time. And from my perspective, I don't see myself as a calm, grounded person. Like inside, there's like so much movement, so much energy. And so I've really learned that that's something that, that I have as an impact when I'm around other people. Through hearing people say that all the time, I'm like, really? Did I make you feel calm? Like, is there a calmness about me? Like, it was so weird when I started hearing that because I would never have identified myself as being that kind of person. I suffered from anxiety. I still suffer from anxiety and I've had massive panic attacks and all kinds of stuff throughout the years. So I guess it's in many ways, I think maybe that is who I am as a person because I'm not able to explain what it is that's really helped me cultivate that but I would say one thing that that really helped me like get it was when I was working as a therapist with children with autism and so I I wish I had another answer but this is what the answer is going to be because I'm not suggesting everyone go out there and work with kids who who have autism (laughs) as the way to find calmness but (laughs) What it did for me is that I spent so many hours a day working with kids that don't speak. And so I had to learn different ways to communicate because words didn't work. And that's when I was able to tap into the power of our energy to be able to communicate, to be able to change an environment. So if a kid came into a therapy session really rattled and out of sorts, I knew that me telling them to calm down was not going to compute. I had to enter the calmness myself and communicate it that way. And then that would bring the energy Mm. down in the therapy session. So one thing that I always suggest to my clients, like right off the bat when I start working with them, is to reduce the noise. So when I do like couples therapy or couples coaching or even family therapy, it would always be about not talking to each other rather than the traditional therapy approach, which is like, let's get you two into a room and figure out what your issues are and you say what you need to say and you say what you need to say. It was no talking whatsoever and finding new ways to communicate with each other. So if maybe that's the answer, but that's definitely how I learned to tap into the power of my energy and now it's it's more automatic to kind of rest in that place Mm, I love that so much and I think yeah I think regardless of whether anyone's gonna have the experience of working with children in the way that you did I think what that really speaks to is 
connecting beyond the obvious, you know, as you as you just gave the example with couples, the obvious way of communication for most people is verbal. But unless they already have a practice of coming from that deeper place, then it's by definition pretty much going to be a repeat of whatever's on the surface or whatever the triggers are or just whatever the dominant sort of force is that's giving, you know, energy or focus or what have you. So such a reminder that for anything, the communication, whether it's communication with self or with others, transcends the obvious and and even transcends the physical. Do you have, sorry, Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say and, and just share one other thing that I learned in that experience was incredible patience because what I realized and, and learned through through working with those kids is that, you know, when I tell them to do something, they would do it. But when they go home or go to school, like those behaviors were not carried through. So the therapy was not really translating outside of the environment of me telling them what to do. And so, you know, I, I was around some amazing mentors at the time who kind of taught me the the process of just waiting for that spontaneous action. So rather than telling the child to do this, wait for them to spontaneously do it. So I remember one client that I had, a little boy, he was around eight years old. I think I waited a year and a half just for him to look at me in the eyes directly. So it it, it taught me how to wait for that moment where the spontaneous or the inspired action happens rather mm. than being told what to do and acting from that place because it doesn't translate outside of that environment. Mm, I love that. That's so powerful. It's a little scary or confronting as well, I think, for a lot of people. And it does lead perfectly into the next question that I had for you, which is what, okay, it sort of kind of links back as well to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, but on what occasions, if any, do you, I guess, lose track of these truths for yourself. You know, we were talking before about what part of you most, you know, can sway you from purpose potentially. So it is a similar question. But, yeah, in this case, what I'm wondering is around, is there anything in particular, whether it's, I don't know, anything that's going on with a client and, you know, worrying about helping them bring their dream to life or with a coaching client or, you know, business ups and downs as far as marketing and selling and all those sorts of things, but anything in particular where, you are more likely to lose track of that waiting for the right moment or that connecting to intuition because I know I have my errors. (laughs) I think for me, 100%, it's around finances. So it's it's that's always a trigger for me in the business side of things. And even in my personal life, quite a bit, you know, that's been a huge journey. And and you and I have done so much work together over the years on, on that sort of stuff. I think yeah, for me, it's sometimes I, I, I get a bit caught up in the noise of like instant manifestation and like, you, can, you know, it can happen right now. And it's not that I don't believe that, that that's not true, but I also think sometimes that pulls me out of that like patient, like waiting for it to just happen as it's meant to happen. Mm. And so I would say, yeah, finances, you know, wealth creation those sorts of things are where it kind of pulls me back into like oh well finances you gotta have a plan you gotta have savings like i i think i can get pulled into to that kind of thinking and away from 
you know, it, it's all going to unfold as it needs to unfold and, and what's for the highest good of me and the highest good of all. And as long as I am in that embodied energy that's required for those things to spontaneously happen, it will happen. But that's for sure. Yeah. For me. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's true for a lot of people. I'm going to uh, – your your sound quality just went right out the window. I could still understand you, but I'm just wondering okay. if you could – I don't know. Oh, now it's back. It's yeah, back? It's probably just, yeah, like a little crackle in your cord or right. something there. Okay. It's fine again now. It's fine. Yeah. Okay, good. But, no, I still caught the answer. It was just a bit crackly, so that's good. Okay. Okay, so the next thing I'd like to ask you is something that I pretty much ask all of my guests and you might have heard me talk about this exercise of my own before, potentially. It's called my megaphone exercise, but I'll explain it to you and for those listening. So what I'd love to know is if you were standing on a balcony and basically the whole world was down below beneath you and, you know, you had a megaphone and you had one minute and everyone was just waiting to hear what you had to say, you know, oh my gosh, Kira's going to share something with us. What is that message you really want to wake and shake the world with? You know, what is that thing where you just, you know, have that feeling sometimes of wanting to grab people and go, don't you understand? It's all about whatever. What would you share in that minute? I would share that it it's so much more simple than we think and that it get, it just gets to be so simple. I love and that. Yeah, I, th- I think that's it. I, I see that. Like sometimes I just want to shake people when I see them just really overcomplicating stuff. I'm like, it's, it's so, like, it's natural. Like if, if it's what you're meant to be doing, it's going to be natural. It's not going to be easy, but it is mm-hmm. going to be simple and natural. Yes. And as long as it feels simple and natural, then that's a pretty good sign that it's the right thing. Oh, I so agree. I, I couldn't agree more. And I just, I've, I've had that or a similar thought to that many times, you know, success is simple at its core. It might not be easy exactly as you said, but it is simple. And what a great just message and reminder slash, you know, cold water in the face to everyone that when it's feeling complicated or, yeah, kind of twisted or murky or so there's so many moving parts I I know for me that's pretty much a principle or a policy within my coaching company that if things are starting to feel quite complex and we're getting into a lot of conversations about the you know like mysterious fancy way that we're going to get to such and such next level solution it's like well somebody better notice that quickly and snap us out of it Yeah. yeah which usually I do but sometimes sooner than others because you know, pretty much by definition, if it's getting complicated, that's not the way or not the way for you, Elise. Yeah, absolutely. So good. <laughs> All right. Where can people connect with you if they'd like to know more about your therapy, your coaching or your publishing or just you? Yeah, so there's two main ways. So for the coaching, I'm on social media at Kira Jean Official and my website is kirajean.com. And for the publishing, we're on social media at the Dreamwork Collective and the website's thedreamworkcollective.com. Perfect. And we'll pop those links below as well. Thank you so much for being here today, Kira, and just sharing your beautiful energy, opening up about some personal little insights as well, relevant to your journey and giving people something to remind them who and what they are. 
Thanks for having me, Kat. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much for joining me in another episode of the Rebel Millionaire podcast show. It has been my honor and absolute pleasure to get to participate with you in the download, in the dropping in, and in the kicking your butt back to soul, certainty, and truth. I do have a little free gift for you if you want to head on over to thekatrinaruthshow.com forward slash podcast free gift and check out what we've got there for you. And I also want to give a little shout out to the amazing people who leave me reviews and written reviews on the podcast here. I appreciate you so much. I'm so grateful to you for taking that time, showing the love and sharing with others why they might want to listen along as well. In fact, my team are going to take over from me in just a moment and jump into a few shout outs. So over to you guys. Today's five-star review comes from Lauren Peets and she writes, Kat, Thank you for giving us permission to show up exactly as who we are. No one is dropping more real talk bombs than this lady right here. And if you're listening to anyone else about doing the hashtag soul work, well, you're doing it wrong. This podcast is diamonds for the ears. A must listen. Thank you so much for that review, Lauren. And for all the other listeners out there, feel free to leave a review for your chance to be featured in next week's episode. 